What's going on, y'all? This is Mike Brown, and I just want to welcome y'all to this week's episode of The Art of Letting Go. While I have your attention, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast and leave a review. Let other people know what you think about the show. Also, October, I will be releasing my podcasting course. It's called How to Create a Dope Podcast and Stay Consistent. It's really good, y'all. And it's very inspiring. So be on the lookout for that next month. And welcome to the show. Hey, hey, yup. <laughs> Episodes flowing like water. I'm a gold harder. Today's guest got two daughters and a good father, husband, brother, and lawyer. Alumni Xavier for you. Podcast putting up numbers to about a summer. Remember, I said it. If I ain't got it, then you know that I get it. Only tell the truth like a thread on Reddit. 100,000 streams on the show, I hit it. Only keep it count probably since pandemic. It's 178, and I know I gotta go. And if you didn't know, this the art of letting go. Yeah, yeah. Yo, what up? This is Mike Brown, and this is the art of letting go. Today, I have a special guest in the building. Um, we went to college together, and I really wanted to connect with you on the podcast because I saw you just being very vulnerable about your your journey and healing. And, um, you know, you, you told me that we had this conversation about a year ago to do it, and, we ended, and it just didn't happen. But now here we are a year later. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on the show. So thank you for coming on. But do you mind introducing yourself to the people? Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Victor Jones. I am a civil rights attorney and I'm based in New Orleans. From Mississippi. Up, man, Orleans. how are you feeling today? I'm in a good space. Yeah. I'm in a good space. I did something I haven't done in a long time, which is this morning I actually meditated. I found wow. this really cool. I literally Googled like black man's meditation video and this 20 minute video. I'll send it to you when we finish. Please do. Please uh, do. That just speaks like all these positive affirmations um, that are like specific to black men. Um, yeah, I just sat on my carpet and, and started my day with that. And it's made a world of a difference. And it, reminded me of like why that was such an important part of my life at one point and also um yeah makes me wonder why like what forces were in play that made me stop i mean i know the answer but i i, I want to know the why so that i can make sure that that doesn't happen again you know yeah i you know and it's funny you mentioned that because i just got back into meditation myself uh actually with the with a couple of people we went to school with, shout out James, uh, Sean, and Crenshaw. We've been we've been doing like this accountability group for the past couple of days, waking up at five a.m. or five a.m. my time, and uh, yeah, either James will lead us in meditation or I will lead us in meditation, and we just been kind of just going through, uh, you know, holding each other accountable, getting some shit done, and it feels really good. It feels really good, and I and I want to stick to it even once we you know, once we move out of it, because we're doing it for seven days, but I want to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, man, I wanted to start with a question. So I usually meditate 
like when I do meditate uh, at least once a week and I ask myself a question, like whatever question comes up for me. Um, and I wanted to play it for you and see if you could give me a response to it. So I'll play it right now. So I'm sitting here having a thought and my thought is, how do you know when that special person is that special person? Mm. You said so. The question is, how do you know if that special person is that special person? Yeah. So, I, and I and I guess more so in the sense of like romantic partnership, because uh, you know. Yeah, I've definitely as as I'm maturing because I mean I've dated a lot over the past few years, but I think since I've like slowed down and just kind of taking some time to really connect to myself and starting to get to know someone new, um, yeah, it feels special and it feels different. And I think it's more so me bringing something different to it. But yeah, I'm curious to know your your answer. Yeah, so I would say from my experience, um, it depends on your initial reaction to that person. I'm not necessarily talking about love at first sight, but I am talking about like, what is it that you, when you meet this person after you've had an interaction with them, what is it that you want to do next, right? Like, do you want to like get to know them and and be their friend and 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 be vulnerable with them after a, an initial round of meetings? If the answer is yes, then yeah, that's your person. Um, yeah. But if you want to simply like escalate things physically, that ain't your person. Now, this happened to me when I was. Um, it was a very unexpected time very unexpected time. Like I was, I had just finished. So I graduated from Xavier 07. I had finished Harvard in 08. And then while I was teaching kindergarten, I went on a blind date. It was one of my line brothers, Brandon. Um, it was his friend. They knew each other. And funny enough, they knew each other because my wife at the time, a girlfriend or whatever, she lived in Boston, but she was, doing AmeriCorps. And you remember we used to host all the AmeriCorps teams at at Xavier. Whenever they would come in and do any recovery work in the ninth ward, we would host them. Oh, wow. And so the semester I left Xavier, I graduated. She came down. And so I always tell her that was perfect because if you if she would have met me my senior year, like there would be no us, you know what I mean? Like it just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, I was so, and then we'll talk about that too. Like I was so unhealed, like, Oh man, like that my, my concept of, of like what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a good person was just not there. It just wasn't there at the time. And so I'm very happy we didn't meet. And remember I was telling you, I always learned, a lot about myself whenever I'm like outside of my comfort zones or even geographically when I'm outside of the South. Well, one of my biggest periods of growth was when I lived in Boston for two years and didn't know anybody, um, had never like seen snow, like in a meaningful sense, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, 
Like that was a time period where I really, really just had to sit with myself and not be um, slim, not be uh, vigilante, the Omega, like, I, like all of that, all of that shit went out the window when wow. I was there by myself. Um, and it was such an important period and it lasted for two years. And, and then at the tail end of that period, I met my wife. And so that was the first time I had ever met a woman where as soon as I met her, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do anything intimate. I simply just wanted to get to know her and I wanted to like learn, you know, from her. Um, I wanted to like be her friend, you know, all of these things I had never, again, I had never experienced that before. And that's how I, I knew that, that, that this is, you know, my soulmate. I always tell my wife, God forbid, even if we don't work, like she will always be the love of my life because of the way we met and because of how I felt. Like I still remember how I felt when I first met her, you know, and I actually told her, you know, I was like, don't get creeped out, but I'm, I think I'm gonna marry you. Like, I think you're gonna be my wife. Yeah, I told her that. You know, like, and then it was, it was funny because she had just gotten out of like a long relationship and she's older. So she had just gotten out of a long, long relationship. And so she, she had viewed me as just like a good time. Like, you know, this dude is headed back to the South for law school, you know, like, yeah, let him take me out. We have some fun. And that was it. And she had already been in love before and she had already experienced heartbreak and I had experienced none of that. And so I was just completely starstruck. And she was just like, yeah, you're really into me, huh? <laughs> um, and so I think to to answer your question, um, if in that initial moment, in those initial moments, you find yourself just simply wanting to exist with that person and, and not in an intimate sense, like, ironically because yeah. i think we put so much emphasis on the intimacy i think that's your that's your person you know are you feeling like that's what you're experiencing right now i think so yeah yeah that's cool for sure um because i'm i'm recognizing how valuable that's the, awesome i appreciate that yeah the the friendship is very valuable to me um and i'm like i've, I've never really felt that before I mean, I've mm-hmm. tried to, you know, you try to build a friendship yeah. and it just don't really, you know, it, it just don't really mesh like that, but it just, it just feels so good. And that's not even talking about the intimacy, like just the connection mm-hmm. feels so good and it feels just natural and it feels right. And um, I appreciate you sharing that. I do. Yeah. So now, man, I really want to get into just just talking about your journey, man, because like I said, for a long time, I I really saw myself as being like the only man really just being open about my experiences and healing and stuff like that. But I'm curious to know. Well, shout out to you for doing that, because, you know, and you being a vulnerable person has allowed other people to be vulnerable as well, like myself. Man, I appreciate that. Man, man, I appreciate that for real. Um, yeah. I'm curious to know what what brought you on your healing journey? 
I feel like this moment in 2020 that just like literally turned my life upside down in every sense of the word. Um, I'm still processing all that happened. Uh, but essentially, I, in that year, realized that my entire, like with the exception of my, my wife and some very close friends, um, but that my entire way of operating in relationships was built on like codependency and emotional abuse. Um, I still don't, I think it started at this, this, my last job that I was at. Yeah, I think that was it. That was the first time I was ever in like, you know, I had heard the term narcissist before, but I just thought it meant like, oh, this person's really vain. You know, Um, I ended up working with people who were like diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And the scary part about it is that they reminded me so much. Those people reminded me so much of my family relationships and my home relationships that it was comfort in that, you know? And so like I was in a workplace environment where there was a lot of like smear campaigns. If someone saw you climbing up, they would just like, you know, without like any remorse, like just launch like the nastiest rumor about you and it would make us rounds throughout the office and and you have to experience these moments of alienation. I dealt with triangulation. If, you know, you built a relationship with a colleague, someone would whisper something in both of your ears and, and break you all up and hear you all are not even knowing why you're not talking, but they still have like a connection to y'all. Um, I dealt with um, extreme like psychological manipulation where, you know, things that I would say or do um, like, someone else would take credit for it and there was nothing I could do about it. Um, being punished for speaking out um, in workplaces. You know, if, if I saw maybe the women of color weren't being paid the same rate as, as white women paralegals, if I spoke out against that, like, you know, like being punished with like really shitty evaluations, like that are rooted in like all these tropes as black men, you know? So whenever I would speak up, I would get an evaluation that says like, he's being aggressive, you know, or, or like, he's, he's very angry, you know, all these things that I am not. Yeah. Um, but again, and, and, and me actually, and going through a period of being love bombed by these people and not knowing that me thinking like, Oh, they really like me, you know? And, and, and really they were just like setting me up for like the psychological kill and that cycle happening over and over again, you know? And, and I ended up having to leave that job, but it messed me up. Like it, it sent me to therapy, which I'm always like, thank goodness for this job, because it was the start of my healing journey. But the scary part is that those behaviors that I saw, um, I finally connected the dots that, oh my God, my mother's the exact same way. It has been that way my entire life. Um, you know, I... It's really difficult to share this one because as black men, like we're always just taught to be so respectful of our mothers, but no one ever talks about what happens if the person who's caused you the most harm is your mother. Um, And so just to fly back to 1984, my understanding is that I am the byproduct of a one night stand. And my mother used to tell me all the time, 
that she regretted having me and that she wished that that had never happened. Um, I have on my mother's side, an older brother and a younger brother, and she loved their dads, but my dad, she didn't. And so she always treated me differently, always took things out on me, always took things out on me. And like, because of that, um, I think at a very early age, I, I probably was always going to be an empathic person. But because I had experienced so much injustice as a child, it made me even more empathic towards people. And so it makes sense to me that I'm a civil rights lawyer for children because I had such a shitty childhood, right? Um, so, Man. and then I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to keep quiet, right? So every time we do like these archetype quizzes at work or your Enneagrams or your personality traits, the one thing that always stands out is that I'm, I have zero tolerance for injustice. Like I can remember being in kindergarten and someone cutting in line and that messing my head up for the entire day. I couldn't understand, like, why would you do that? You know, why would you hurt someone? And so I would observe at a very early age, some of the things that were happening to me and I was connecting the dots. Like I remember being three and four years old and telling my mother, you don't like me. and, and telling other people that, like, my mom doesn't like me. And one thing that narcissistic people are very good at is keeping a mask on, right? And so they will do and say anything to silence their the truth teller. And so I was always known in my family. My mother had everyone thinking that I was a liar. At one point, she had people thinking that I had autism. Like, I mean, it was anything to negate my truth, which is that I was three and four years old getting my ass beat every night if my mother so much as had a bad day at work, if I couldn't find my belt within five minutes. Like, that was my reality. And because my whole family, like, had been manipulated to view me in this negative light, you know, it was family mobbing is the term. Like, I hated holidays i used to eat my my food in a bathroom because i would have to deal with insults from my aunts insults from my uncles beatings from my mom my brother like all of that you know and this would be just like a a christmas holiday or a thanksgiving holiday and i just think in hindsight it really was not only that they that my mother hated my father but there were some things about me that i think my mother wished she had and that she just didn't have and it really bothered her now, I don't understand that as a parent because there are some things my daughters have that I don't have that I'm like, man, that's awesome. My four-year-old, bro, she has boundaries. I've never met a child with boundaries. Like, wow. you don't have to tell her, oh, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. She'll just tell you no. She, We just met my dad's family for the 4th of July. You know how old Black folks are. They're like, oh, come give me a hug. She's like, no. And I'm explaining to my aunts and uncles, like, listen, we don't force her to do things. Um. Or like, she will tell me like, daddy, I don't want to be around this person. I don't, you know, and she won't even explain why. And she didn't have to. Like, I wished I had that. But for my mother, it was, you know, I wished that I had like the level of empathy that he had. I wished that uh, my my family on my mom's side, they're very shy people. And I'm not, I'm far from shy. I'm like my dad. Um, I've learned I'm like him. Um, 
And so I just, I had so many qualities about me that my family members didn't have. And instead of celebrating that, it was something to resent. For example, um, I was in gifted class as a kid. And normally that would be celebrated. Where my mother and my family would say, you know, in response to that, oh, you think you're better than us. You know, like when I got into Harvard, it was, oh, you think you're better than everybody. Rather than, oh my gosh, my son got into this Ivy League institution. You know, um, I had multicultural friendships. This was in Mississippi. I always had, I always had homies and homegirls, like random people knew in our neighborhood. If there was a white child playing, like, oh, that was Victor's friend. Everybody knew that about me. Um, My best friend as a child was a white girl because we were both, um, she and I were, we, we had like a friendly competition. We would always go back and forth on who would have the highest grades. So she was my intellectual peer, right? And so um, that would be processed by my family as, oh, you think you're white, you know? And it's like, no, I'm none of these things. You know, I don't feel this way, but you're projecting all of this onto me. Um, Another thing I did, and and this is why I say like, I've always, I think because in my childhood, I've had a level of empathy that is probably like more than, I don't know, I'm, I'm not comparing, but. I've always just been like highly empathic. And so I distinctly remember in the first grade, we, and mind you, this was in Mississippi. We had a classmate that he was unmistakably gay. Like he knew it. Um, I think his family knew it. And I think because of our Christian backgrounds, you know, they, 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 they didn't hurt. Well, they didn't like hurt him in a physical sense, but they just didn't talk about it. Right. But yeah. I remember he told me in the first grade, like, I like wow. boys, you know, and, and me being seven and being like, Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> wow. like do you? And he was my yeah. friend. He was such a nice guy. He was such a nice person. He was my friend. And because we were friends, when I tell you for years, my mother and my mother would tell everybody, well, Victor's gay. Wow. Because he had this gay friend, right? And to the point that, and when you're a child and you hear this from your mother, like I'm being honest, like you you kind of start to wonder like, okay, this is my mother telling me this. Um, it has to be true, you know? And so Damn. it got to a point where I was at least like in junior high where like, I couldn't help but to wonder out loud if like, okay, if my mother's saying this, there has to be something to it. All the while, I had this really deep urge to like girls, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And so wow. when we got in middle school, this same friend, he kept saying to me, he was like, Vic, I'm tired of you asking me this. Because I would just ask him, because that was my only gay friend. I was like, dude, am I gay? He's like, you are not. You are not. And he was like, and if your mother is telling you that she is wrong, I mean, he's such a good friend, such a good friend. Um, and you know, he was really liberating for me because in that year I started to like, once he kind of told me that that's when I started to like come out my shell, got my first girlfriend, like really enjoyed like, um, like, you know, like dating in the sense of a teenager, you know, and the further I would like rebel against my mother, this would be considered rebelling, right? The, The further I would 
I would act out like she would just rope me back in. She would just try to rope me back in. And, um, you know, I remember being in the eighth grade and telling her one time, you have never said you've loved me. You never said it. And I was like, why can't you say it? And here's what she told me. And this is one of those things where, like, you remember where you were when it happened. I will never forget. We were in the kitchen. She was like, this is before my youngest brother was born. She was like, I, it's because I like your older brother. I just don't like you. And that fucked me up so bad to, like, hear my mom say that. I had already knew it. I knew it, right? Because if she was having a bad day, like, she'd beat my ass and, you know, or... You know, she would always, like, protect my brother and never protect me. Um, So I I had that underlying sense. And, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to tell people, like, my mother doesn't like me. Um, And so, but for her to actually say it, it just really, really put things into, like, a negative perspective. I ended up just not liking myself. I couldn't understand what it was about me that made me so unlikable by my mother. Mind you, I hadn't met my dad yet. He wasn't in the picture. Yeah. But he only lived five minutes away from me. Wow. And I didn't know it because she hated him so bad she kept it a secret. But it's a small town. So one day after basketball practice, I had this guy on my team named Corey. And we had, like, real good chemistry. It was like Stockton and Malone, like, I mean, I knew him like he and we were only like, what, 11, 12 years old. But like we understood each other. Yeah. And he was my friend. And we would always go play like after after basketball practice. I go shoot hoops at his house. Well, his dad took me home one day. I still remember like the back of his dad's head. He had like a fade. Um, and I was me and Corey were sitting in the back seat, And his dad was like, Victor, who is your dad? And I said, I don't know. I, I never thought about it. Um. And he said, you need to go and ask your mother who your father is and let me know the next time I see you. So I went home and I asked my mother and I was so scared because I had already, I had always been told like, do not ask me any questions about your dad. So, you know, my brother's dad lived in Atlanta. He would come down and see him, but we were never allowed to talk about my father. That conversation was off limits and I didn't know why. Um, and so because I didn't know why for a minute, I used to think like, well, maybe he raped her or something, you know, like, cause I, no one would give me a, 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 no one would explain to me why I was not allowed to talk to him and why my mother would always say, I regret having you. So I ended up asking her and Damn. she told me his name. She was like, um, she was like, his name is, and she, I remember she like walked, she didn't look me in the eye or anything. She just walked past me. It was almost like she just wanted to get this over with. And his last name, which is Watson, is the same last name as my friend, Corey, that I played basketball with, and his dad, Sean. And so, in hindsight, I think, you know, Uncle Sean, who I just saw for the 4th of July, and I was like, man, do you remember you were the one who told me about my dad? He was like, yeah, I remember. I think from his perspective, he was like, it's time for him to know this, you know, like he needs to know who his father is. So I went back and told him, I was like, uh, your brother's my dad, you know, and, 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 and this is my cousin and you're my uncle. And wow. he was like, yeah. And he was like, I'm going to bring him to the next basketball game. And so that's why I've always had 
even though I stopped playing in high school, I always had like a like a special like relationship with basketball because that was the first time it was through basketball I met my dad, right? Um, so it always has like yeah. a sentimental value with it. But yeah, at that game, um, I remember it was like the best game I played. I was showing out. I was, you know, I had hit like 16 points. And then afterwards, um, my dad was standing at half court and I met him. And I remember looking around for my mother and she was nowhere to be found. It's that deep, deep shame, you know, that deep shame. Um, and and that was the one time I saw him as a child. And so my my mother used to always tell me, your dad just don't want to see you. That's why you never see him. He just doesn't, he wants nothing to do with you. I learned 20 plus years later that, you know, remember I was telling you about like triangulation where you have one person tell person A this and person B that, and then y'all are beefed out, but then they still have a relationship with you. Well, that's what, that's what was going on with me and my dad. I said, dad, you know, um, and I'll explain how I got to know him later, but I was like, dad, my mother used to tell me all the time. I still have the text message. My mother used to tell me all the time that you wanted nothing to do with me. And he's a very quiet man. He's 70. He's stoic. But he 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 was like, that is a lie. You know, he wrote that in all caps. He was like, I have never said that. He was like, but your mother used to tell me you didn't want to see me. So here we were thinking something about one another that was the absolute furthest from truth. And I was able to have a real meaningful conversation with him about his absence and how that has impacted me to this day. Um, and to be able to come full circle and watch him um, this past July playing tic-tac-toe with my daughter, it literally just had me in tears, you know? Like, yeah. um, but we couldn't get there unless I removed certain people. So let me go back to that. Um, and so by the time I was in high school, yeah, I was just like a, I had no sense of who I was. I was a codependent, like, because I never got my mother's approval, I sought external validation. I would do and say whatever needed to be done and said to be liked by people at the expense of who I was. Um, and it would kill me if someone didn't like me. Like that was always one of my greatest fears is not being liked or being laughed at. Um, and, you know, I, I know you can relate to this, but growing up in Mississippi as a black boy, it's tough. Like the idea around manhood is extremely hard. And so, yeah, I liked football, but like I enjoyed reading and I liked, I'm a bass singer. I like to sing and I like plants. You know what I mean? Like that was, I, I liked like debating people and like those are the things that really excited yeah. me the most. And in that really toxic masculinity mindset, you know, it was you weak, you're punk, you know, F-A-G-G-O-T. Like, and these are all things coming from not like my family, like the people who are supposed to love me. You know what I mean? Um, instead of like saying like, you are Victor, like that's dope. You know, like you, I, I love the fact that you, yeah. that you have these interests, you know, or cultivating those interests, you know, like, like literally my uncles would make fun of me for reading books like there's some ignorant shit but they that's what they did you know yeah. and they would tell me things like i would never grow up to like have a family or be a real man like i mean it was 
And I and the worst part is I believed every single word of it. I believed them. I I, I had accepted that this was my fate in life. Um, and so when I went off to school, Xavier was very, um, in some ways, a reinforcement of that. But in other ways, it was liberating. So it was a reinforcement of that in the sense that, you know, like, we were all trying to fit in, especially our freshman year. Yeah. Especially our freshman year. And so whatever I, because I didn't have a concept of who I was and because I didn't have a a concept of like healthy friendships, particularly with men, um, I just did whatever other people were doing. I wore whatever anybody else was wearing. This was the tall T era from <laughs> 03. This was the Cameron pink. <laughs> I did that. I, I would like talk like real like greasy to women, even though like on the inside, I used to be like, man, that's not nice. You know, like I did all that because yeah. I just needed to yeah. fit in. I needed to fit in. And it and as much as I love, like, there's so much I have gained from being in a fraternity, but me joining a fraternity was a manifestation of that codependency and need to fit in as well. You know, if, if I, if I had, if I, if I was who I was today, I, I, I would, I would honestly, I would laugh at the idea of joining a fraternity. Wow. Um, but I was a 22 one-year-old like looking to belong in a group of other black men not knowing what it meant to be a black man and and most tragically not knowing what it meant to be myself and it was the same dynamics those same like really toxic dynamics played out um in some ways and you know when i when i pledged and when i crossed it was still like you got to be this way towards women or you know you got to be mean to other friends. It's like, I don't want to be mean to other people. <laughs> like, I'm I'm not a mean person. I don't yeah. want to do those things. And, and like, I don't want to grope this girl. Like, I don't want to do these things. Um, but along the way, at Xavier, in my fraternity, both of those things, along the way, um, there were some folks who came in that I that maybe everybody thought they were weird, but I used to be like, man, that person is themselves. Like, and I always admired that about them. Like I, I met this Omega from Cali. He was just like a bona fide hipster. Like this man was just like a, whew, his, his mind was always on some next level shit. He was always trying to philosophize. He was always high. I just thought he was like the coolest dude ever. And the reason why I, 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 I appreciate him so much is because He's the one that came up to me one time. He was like, I've been around you for five minutes and everything about you has been a facade. And he was like, the next time I see you, I want you to be your authentic self. I had never heard that before. Wow. That was so, that was so affirming and so empowering. And to come from my fraternity, brother. Yeah. And so by the time I was, a yeah, by the end of my senior year, like I was completely who I, who I am now, you know, I've grown in many aspects, but that was the period where I literally just stopped caring what people thought about me, including my family. And so of course, for them, it was like, we're losing him. We're losing him. Like, how do we pull him back in? 
And I mean, they tried a lot of things, you know, um, usually if you're like in a emotionally abusive relationship, um, whether it be family, whether it be coworkers or friendships or any of that, um, people will engage in what's called hoovering where they, you know, maybe try to pretend like they like who you are just to like suck you back in. But the minute you're back into their orbit, those same negative relationship dynamics play out. And that's what would happen, you know, with my family. Like suddenly, like the more, the more um, distant I grew from them, the more complimentary of me they became. Like suddenly Victor was smart. Suddenly they're so proud of him. And because I had never gotten that attention, I'm like, finally, I finally got it. And I would go right back into the situation and I would stick around because you should never walk away from your family. And that's what we're taught. And then I would be miserable again within months. Damn. And that cycle played out over and over and over and over again throughout my 20s, throughout my 30s. Um, I was always invalidated, you know, like nothing was ever good enough for my family. When I brought my wife home, it was, she's not like us, you know. Um, when I became a father, it was, um, I wish you had had a boy. Like these are, this is the shit that my mother was saying and, and my family, like, you know, um, when I got my, when I got a high paying job, it was, um, oh, your brother, he, he makes more than you. It, like it was just always, because at that point you can physically beat me, but emotionally I was still like beat, you know? Um, and my mother would, whenever I would call her, she would always find a way to berate me, always find a way. I mean, it, it's almost like a magic trip, a magic trick at the level that she could. Like I could say something like, oh, you know, I just had my bare first trial today. And, um, and I think my arguments were great and I was prepared and she would be like, oh, you know, you think you're better than us because you're a lawyer. No, but like, that's right. I mean, she had been saying that from the very beginning, right? So it wasn't anything new. In fact, when I first met my wife, I mean, when my wife first met my mother, she was like, I'm not trying to come between anybody. But she was like, has anyone ever told you that your mother is me? Like, that was her first observation of just observing wow. the way that my mom would talk to me. And I said, yeah, I know my mom is mean. But, you know, at the time, I felt like I could, like, you know, like change her or because again, I always felt like it was my fault. I was raised to believe that anything that didn't work was my fault. It didn't matter what was done to me. I always took responsibility for the way that people perceived me and the way that people treated me. I must have done something wrong. And this played out in all of my relationships before I met my wife. Um, the women I dated were extremely emotionally abusive extremely emotionally abusive to the point that I remember at Xavier um, one time this um, this one woman told me that I she thought I was she, th she thought I was like sexy and I literally looked around because wow. I I couldn't understand like why she was talking I'm like wow like me you know because I had never been I'd never been complimented before this, these are things people don't know like um oh god I had I had one girlfriend, she used to hit me <laughs> and like, I would put up with that shit and I would think it was my fault. Like when I tell you, I done been through some stuff in relationships 
And it all goes back to, I literally was dating my mother subconsciously and just didn't realize it. Didn't realize it. Some of my friendships that I consider to be very close friendships were the same way. It was like, you know, I was only good if I was doing something to like boost them or their image. Um, I was never allowed to, I had one friend who, um, anytime I would win something, um, that person would say like, oh, I don't need a certificate to define me, which is pretty much like the, oh, you think you're yeah. all that, you know, like it, but because I had been hearing that the whole time, I'm like, oh, maybe you're right. Yeah. And so when I first met my wife, she saw all of my awards just like in a corner in a box, like stacked up. And she was like, you know, you need to take pride in the fact that you accomplished so much and that you graduated from Harvard considering your life circumstances. She's like, these are really big things. Um, and she was absolutely right, you know? But at the time, I just, I didn't, I didn't know it. Now, I mean, I'm trying to, I wish I could flip my camera. I don't know if I can. Um, but when we first got this home, she made me um, literally like put all my awards up. Yeah. So there they are. Wow. <laughs> wow. God damn. Even to this, <laughs> y'all know, huh? <laughs> and like, even to this day, it's, 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 it's hard for me to stare at that wall without that voice being played in my head that like, I'm arrogant, you know, like that voice is still there. Um, and I still have to fight that voice every day. And so by the time, you know, my daughter came around, like, I think that's when the shift really happened because it's one thing to do these things to me, but it's another thing for it to literally start trickling down to the next, like to my children. It's James Woods, AKA that yoga dude with feel free to feel free. Stretch. Stretch beyond where you think you are to where you can comfortably uncomfortable. Relax the tension out of your shoulders. Slow the breath down and stretch. Stretch your arms over your head. Stretch your feet away from your body. Stretch. Take a deep breath. Relax the body, the arms and legs. And stretch the mind. Stretch the vision of yourself. See yourself as courageous, bold, healthy, wealthy. See yourself as wise, humble, Supportive, caring. Take a deep breath and settle into your stretch.
as the mind stretches, we stretch the heart. Breathing in and becoming more compassionate, loving, caring, joyful, peaceful, healing. Take a deep breath in, letting it expand. And as you exhale, settle into your stretch. Every day is a stretch. Our physical, our mental, our spiritual, our mind, our body, our heart. Take a deep breath and allow yourself to stretch just a little bit more each day towards becoming your best, highest, most free self. Take a deep inhale here. And a slow, long exhale. As always, feel free to feel free. And namaste. Peace. And so my daughter yeah. came home one day at three and started saying the exact same things that I used to say about my mother when I was little. She said, Granny doesn't like me. And remember, I used to say that all the time. I used to tell people, my mom doesn't like me. And I would say, well, what do you mean? And and, and she said, well, she would hug, you know, my, my nephew and say she loves him. And I would say, what about me? And she wouldn't say anything. And then she came home and told me that my mother hit her. And I had already told my mom, the day the child was born, that I had survived enough beatings to last every single Jones that came from my body. And under no circumstances would I be hitting my children. And under no circumstances would I allow anyone to touch my children. So it's still hard for me to this day to have to accept the fact that the one time my child was hit was by my mother. Um, I don't play that shit. I don't play that shit at all. And so you want to talk about like breaking some generational curses. My grandmother told me that her grandmother, who was born right during Reconstruction, said she would just wake up every morning and just whip her for no reason. And, and I said, well, did your mom whip you? And she was like, yeah. And I said, and then you whipped my mom. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, and my mother annihilated me whenever she got a chance. Um, and so I had made that decision when we had that conversation this was six generations of just like beating the shit out of your kids like I'm putting an end to that we're not doing that you know like we're breaking these generational curses I'm not raising my child to be codependent I'm not hitting my child I'm allowing my children to make choices I tell my children I love them every night because I was never told that um and I just feel like there was a level of like, because the question now becomes, well, how did how did I get this far, you know, under these circumstances? And really, I just think it was God in the universe and my ancestors cheering me on, you know. Um, I knew, even when I was little, that as much as I hated my existence, I always felt like there was something better yeah. out there. I just couldn't reach it and it would frustrate me that I couldn't reach it. Like one time my mom put me out for something real stupid. I was nine years old, like sitting in the cold in my boxer shorts 
Um, like she like locked the door. Um, and I remember like praying up to the stars and like asking God, like, you know, please like one day, let me have a better life. And so I knew that that day would come. Um, I just didn't realize it, what it would take to get there. And so I made, after like continuous efforts, it's like, yo, let's go to therapy. Like, let's work this out. Like continuous asks for therapy, um, continuous like demands to stop like being emotionally abusive towards me, towards my wife. She was horrible to my wife, which always made me feel bad because my wife's sisters all have these wonderful relationships with their in-laws and and she doesn't because my mother was cruel to her because she was an extension of me and my mother hates every extension of me um yeah and so like i just when my daughter came home and said that i was like interestingly it wasn't even like a a long debate i said in my head all right i will no longer talk to my mother it was I cried for a couple of seconds because it was like a, it's like I mourned like the death of my family. So for me, like October 18th of 2020 was the day that like my family, as I knew it, died. Because I knew that once I made this decision, it would never be the same again. I knew that. And I also knew that there's a high chance I will never speak to my mother again. Like, but after 35 years of just looking back and never, ever, ever having a positive moment, it was like, well, what am I sticking around for? And this shit is starting to like pass on to my children. My mother would always, remember I told you about triangulation. She would always triangulate me and my brother. If we ever, ever, ever got close, she would find a way to rip us apart. Most, like the last time she did it, I remember she would tell me, she would tell me that he cares more about his friends than his own brother. But then she would tell him, um, Victor cares more about his frat brothers than you. And the messed up part is like, he would believe it. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, why is this man not speaking to me? Like, why are we beefed out? And it's because of some shit my mother told him, right? And he and her are very similar. I mean, that's, it's coming from your mom. Yeah. And so they, when my second child came, they started that same dynamic of like, praising my younger daughter and like not 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 listening to my oldest child's needs um putting my youngest daughter on a pedestal in ways that i really if i think about it long enough it pisses me off my youngest daughter is she's out of everybody we don't know where she got this gene from but she is the lightest skin (laughs) girl person in our house and she has you know like she has like long curly hair and my oldest girl is a chocolate bunny just like her dad you know and and so like they would like you know like make these little comments about my youngest daughter's looks but then not give those same comments to my daughter my oldest you know so i saw like the yeah. or like whatever my youngest daughter wanted she would get but then my oldest daughter would come home and say granny doesn't like me um and so I started to notice, like, damn, they're trying to, like, like fuck up their sisterhood, right? Like, because that's how this shit works. That's how narcissistic families are. Um, and so, yeah, I just made the decision. It wasn't anything ceremonial. I literally blocked my mother from everything. Everything. 
And I have to tell you, the the first week I had never felt so good. It was not a single moment of regret because I had been having this thought for years. I've been dealing with this for 35 years. And I remember thinking in high school, like, I wonder if one day I just won't be able to take this anymore, you know? Um, and for anyone who understands narcissism, when you pull away like that, um, when someone can no longer control you, they try to control how you are perceived by people. And so my mother went on the most epic smear campaign. She talked to my friends, like all these people came up to me and was like, let me just tell you what your mom is saying about you. She came up to my pastor at my home church. Um, she found former coworkers on the internet, like anything she could do and say, my brothers joined in on her, my aunts, they all did it. Um, and accused me of some of the most insane things ever. And it was so insane that I ended up just posting it because I got tired of like all of this happening in secrecy, right? Like this would always happen where I would be invalidated or smeared over the phone via text at night. But I was like, no, 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 I'm gonna put it into this shit. I want people to understand how you have been doing me my entire life. So I went on Facebook, I went on Instagram and that last message my mother sent to everybody, I said, this is what my mother, I said a love letter from my narcissistic mother. And her friends were there. They could not believe that she had been saying those things. Um, one of my aunts actually responded to me and said, I am so sorry this is still going on. I have forgotten that there was one aunt who, my mom's friend, who believed me as a child whenever I would complain. I had forgotten about that. And so when she said, I'm so sorry, this is still going on, you know, that, that felt good to know that like, and she said, and I understand why you left. I had a cousin who messaged me who said, I understand. I still have the text message. She was like, if I had known you were going through this our whole life, like I would have intervened. I am so sorry. But most of the family members turned their backs on me. And so that's why I say October 18, 2020, wow. I lost my whole family. I had one aunt literally going on Facebook telling people that I was going to be the next president of the United States. So a week later, um, accusing me of beating my wife because my mother had told her that. And calling my wife and saying, what kind of woman are you? So here's the thing about that. Whenever narcissists do like their smear campaign, they project something that they've done onto you. And so I'm not going to go into specifics, but we have had some Jones men in my family beat their wives when Victor Jones, but that was the narrative that was put out there. Um, and then my mother wrote, she said, nothing good is ever going to happen to you. You have cursed your children. Um, you have cut your days short. I'm used to hearing this. She used to tell me this when I was little. Just tell me this when I was little. Man. I remember she would literally say to me when I was like seven or eight, if you ever have kids, they're going to be retarded like you. Like she would say stuff like that. So it wasn't a surprise to me, but I got tired of it. And I said, how do I make sure this never happens again? Let me just put this lady on blast and go and go about my life. And I did. And her job saw it. I mean, because it's a small community. They all saw it. I did that because I wanted to send a message. Don't ever do this to me again. Like, if you do, every time you do or say something bad about me and I find out, I'm just going to put you on blast. So maybe you'll stop one day. Um, my life has been so much better since I walked away from my family. 
It's wow. not like I mourn the loss because when I look back, I never had a family. Remember, I said when I was little, I used to hide in the bathroom and eat my Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners because I'd be bullied by the whole family. Um, and yeah. so I um, had a really awkward like urge to want to reach out to my dad because at that point I was truly an orphan. My mother had triangulated my father away from me and we didn't know it. And then I wasn't talking to her. So, um, hold on, let me get some light in here. So I, um, found my dad's number because he's, he's very well known in our hometown. He's a, he runs a tow truck business. And so I literally like found his number on like Yelp. And I called, I, I called him and at first he didn't answer. And then I just slowly, because I was calling him by his first name, I would say, hey, Joe, this is Victor Jones. I know we haven't talked in a while, but I would really like to get to know you. And then I noticed that once I started calling him dad, that he would respond. And so during Hurricane Ida, I wrote, hey, dad, um, we're evacuating from New Orleans. And he wrote back, okay, be safe. And that was like the first time he had really responded, you know? Um, we had met up when I was 31 in secret. My mother was pissed when she found out. Um, wow. But then even, I, and I think once she found out, she must have like manipulated the situation because he stopped responding to me. And so the next time I talked to him, I just, I bared my soul. I said, my mother has been mean to me my entire life. Because in part, because she was ashamed that she had me with you. And I'm like, you need to know that. And I don't have a parent at this point. I have no parents. My children, they don't have any grandparents on my side. It's embarrassing. You know, I love seeing people having loving relationships with their mothers. But it's also very embarrassing because I know I will never have that. It's just, I will never have that. Um, and so I'm like, dude, I need you. And that's when we had to talk about like, oh, my mother said you didn't want to see me. And oh, well, your mother said you didn't want to see me. And we figured that piece out. But even then, like we would occasionally chat like here and there, it would still be kind of small, um, nothing meaningful. And I told him the last time it happened, I said, man, I really want to get to know my brothers and sisters. So the reason for my mother's embarrassment when it comes to my dad is my dad got a lot of kids and we're all in the same hometown. It's like 28 of us. Yeah. The oldest would have been my brother who passed away at 51. I just met my youngest sister. She's 19. She's either 19 or 20. I just met my youngest sister. I have two sisters. We're all 37. We're all the same age. Um, and so true definition of Papa was a rolling stone, like true definition. <laughs> My understanding is every, like no one was caught off guard. Like it was a small town. They were like, everyone knew that about him. And so, you know, if you did end up having a child with him, it's cause you, you made that choice, but it wasn't like it was a surprise. Everyone knew my dad was out here just making children left and right. They knew that. And so, um, he didn't respond to that. And it was really weird to me. And so I ended up messaging one of my childhood 
friends who I knew was my sister, but I was not allowed to tell people because of my mother. And I messaged her and I said, hey, you know how you keep liking all these pictures of my daughters? Well, they're your nieces. I couldn't even think of a way to tell her. And she wow. wrote me back like, oh, my God, Victor, why didn't you ever say anything? Um, you know, that was my sister the whole time. And that's why I used to want to sit next to her in, in Sunday school and, and things like that. Because for me, I was like, this is my sister. She didn't know it. Um, I had a fifth grade class with one of my sisters. And I think I told her, I said, don't tell anybody, but I'm your brother. Um, wow. And so... I slowly started to build relationships with my brothers and sisters on my dad's side. Um, and it was the same thing. One of my good friends, his siblings are my brothers and sisters. So I told him, I was like, hey, man, you know why I used to always want to come to your house is because your your brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters, too. And he was just like, Vic, why the fuck did you not say anything? It's like, God, because my mother wouldn't allow me to. Right. And so at that point, I had met like maybe maybe two or three brothers and sisters. I've reached out to some of them. They all haven't been responsive. When there's so many kids, there's like a lot of family tension in terms of like vying for dad's affections. And also, my understanding is like the ones who had the same mom and dad just kind of keep to themselves and, and view the rest of us as like, nah, whatever, right? I'm the only one that's like the one-off. I hate to call myself that, but I mean, I think me and my oldest brother are, but everybody else has like a brother, a shared brother and sister. And so, yeah, you know, I would tell them like, hey, put me in touch with our brothers and sisters. And and they would say like, you know, they, they, they're not very receptive. Some of them are, some of them are not. Well, during Hurricane Ida, we evacuated to Mobile, Alabama, and it was my daughter's seventh birthday and she wanted to go to Chuck E. Cheese and we just sitting in Chuck E. Cheese in Mobile having evacuated on her birthday and this woman walks in who looks just like my father spitting image and I had been hearing names over the years of my brothers and sisters and I would always write them down or I would go look them up on Facebook and be like, you know, to my friends and my wife, like, hey, by the way, that's my brother. That's my sister. And so I looked up um, Latoya Fields and it was her. Wow. It was her. Out of the blue. Wow. My heart sank. I didn't. I said to myself, I'm not going to go and ruin this woman's day. And the only way I would say something to her about it is if she ends up standing right next to me. It was almost like me talking to God in the universe. Um, and I turned around and she was standing right next to me. She was standing in line to get some tokens for her grandson. And so I said, oh man, um, I said, Hey, uh, is your name Latoya? And she said, yeah, do we know each other? I was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm your brother. And her face just got real serious. And she was like, what? She was like, what did you just say? I said, I'm your brother. I said, call. And I showed her a picture of me and our dad that I had met up with him in 2016, I said, call him and ask him. And she called him and said, hey, dad, I'm standing next to this man named Victor Jones who says he's our brother. And my dad was like, yeah, you know, you know his family. And she was just like, huh? But he also was like not admitting it. It was like, yeah, you you should know his people is basically what 
he said. Not necessarily, yes, this is your brother. And she was just like, okay, you know. And I said, listen, I don't, because remember I said as a kid, I always knew how to like, I can read people's emotions very well. And I felt bad because she was just trying to have a good time with her grandson and she got this news like bombarded on her. I felt bad for her. And so I ended up just saying, hey, um, I don't want to make this any more awkward. Let's exchange numbers. And we did. And um, I think I texted her first that night and said, hey, I'm really glad I met you. I know this is weird. And she said, I'm glad I met you too. And then she messaged me 20 minutes later and said, can I introduce you to my oldest sister, who was our oldest sister? Wow. And my oldest sister and I talked on the phone for hours that night. I was crying and crying and crying because I had always wanted a relationship with a brother or sister because I didn't have one. My mother took that away from me. And so she was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. If anybody ever, if one thing you'll know about me is I love my brothers and sisters, all of us. I've always been told that, um, that there's a lot of us out there. And so, you know, she was like, I know you, I know you, I know your mind. You look like us. Like I can tell, I can feel it. And she is literally to this day, one of my best friends in life. Anything wow. I do, my oldest sister is there. She came to my award ceremony. She's been the conduit to me and my father being close. She's introduced me to brothers and sisters. Um, I won this huge award at Loyola Law School, like their highest um, alumni achievement award. And I was the youngest wow. recipient. Usually the recipient wow, is in their Congratulations. 50s. And, and, and I won it. Thank you. And the sad part is that the minute I won it, remember that voice was in my head like you think you're better than us you know like because i always have to fight that voice and so i told my sister about it and she was like all right well we pulling up it's a whole award ceremony for you i was like yeah and she was like all right i'm gonna bring dad too i was like what my girls had never met him and i had only seen him once before twice before when i was 11 when i was 31 and she brought him. And that was the first time he ever attended an award ceremony for me. Um, my daughters met their grandfather. You know, and they would always ask me, like, do you have a dad? Can we meet your dad? Um, and so, you know, here we are now. I'm getting to know more brothers and sisters and, and cousins. And I, for the 4th of July, I went to visit Pascagoula, where I'm from, for the first time since I walked away from my mother's family which felt awkward, like being there and knowing in my mind that my family of origin is literally up the street, you know? Um, and I mean, it's a small town. So like, you know, I, I got a bunch of aunts and they're like, all right, now, which one are you, you know? Um, and who is your mom? They'd be like, oh, I know your mother, your grandmother um, used to teach me, you know, like they, they, I mean, we all know each other. And so they are all just really wild at the fact that you know, that I've accomplished so much. You see, I'll pause because I'm always like trying to make sure I'm not like bragging. Um, nah, not at all, not at all. But they're just so in awe of the fact that, I know, I know, it's just something I got to work on. But like, they just cannot believe the fact that there's a Watson out there who's a lawyer who went to Harvard and graduated from Xavier. And like, it just blows their mind. Like they're so, 
they're in like such awe of everything that I do. Um, you know, I just finished this presidential leadership scholars program, got a chance to confront, I won't use that word, but talk to President Clinton about the crime bill. And they're like, wow. wait a minute, you met President? Like, I, my nephew met president, a president? I'm like, yeah, I've met a president before. And they're like, have you met Barack Obama before? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I have. Um, it's just all mind-blowing for them. Are you still man. there? Yeah, I'm still here, man. I, I think I might be lagging a little bit on my end, but, bro. We'll pause. Like, your your journey has been just so beautiful to hear, like, you know, I don't even like this is the first time I'm actually talking to somebody and speechless just because, man, like to hear the things that you've had to overcome is just beautiful, man. So you still there? Yeah, but what I was saying before we got cut off, uh, man, this is, like I said, it's one of the first times I've talked to somebody and really, truly been speechless. And, uh, man, like, I'm so inspired by you and your journey and just all that you've had to overcome because, man, like, you have have been through some shit. <laughs> and yeah. you know, to still come out on this other side of all of that and still you know, see life so beautiful, like to, you know, embrace your other side of your family and, and to feel that love and receive that love. You know what I mean? Like, it's beautiful, yeah. man. It really is. Thank you. It's, it's, it's a lifelong healing journey, right? And, you know, when I think about like where I'm at right now, um, having this relationship with my father, meeting brothers and sisters and having meaningful, like being told I love you. My dad told me he loved me. That was the first time I ever had a parent to tell me that. And that was a couple of months ago. Um, I said, wow, you know, so like I got to experience the love from a parent. Um, yeah. Being at my dream job and um, and all of that, like none of that would have happened um, had I stayed in, honestly, like in my family's Thank orbit. None of it. It's no coincidence that all these good things have come to me after I walked out of that. And that's why I tell people all the time, a lot of people who feel stuck, it's because you're in situations or relationships with people that you're in just out of obligation and, they don't, and they're not good for you. And as long as you're in those relationships, you'll stay stuck. And that, mean, that goes for anybody. Like, if I haven't learned anything, like, you, it truly is. Like, you get to create family. I have... I love who my family is now. You know what I mean? Like one of my best friends in life is um, Carol Coleman from Xavier. Like her family is literally my family. Her parents pray okay. over me. They treat, they treat my children like they're, they're, they're grandchildren. Like it's like, and, and, and I, and I got to build that. You know what I mean? I, I now that I'm getting to know who I am and, and being more like, okay with who I am, my my new homework for myself is now to like go out and cultivate friendships with this new me. Like, you know, 
I was telling my therapist, I still haven't, I still don't think I have found like my, my, um, I haven't found like my male friendships yet. I, like I'm still looking for that. Like I, I really am. Um, I just don't feel like there's, I haven't been able to like really find like, at least down here, like men who are like where I'm at in life, not like I'm ahead, you know, I'm just like, I haven't found that yet. I haven't found my, my people yet in terms of men. I've definitely found that in women. Um, some of my most fulfilling friendships have been with women. My wife is my best friend, but yeah, I would like to find like some brothers who are into plants and <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, Things that I'm into, yeah, and I'm starting on work. I I was gonna comment on them. I love your plans, dude. And and I'm also like, there are some people that I have like gotten to know. Like one of them, one of my line brothers, who because I crossed my senior year, like I just I didn't get to really, and I had just met him. He's from here. I didn't get to know him as well as the rest. I had known Brett and Fest and Brandon for years but not Joe. Um, and not only do I know him, but he lives up the street from me and his, um, and he's my youngest daughter's goddad. And I think so highly of him. He's, he's incredibly like wise. I, you know what I mean? He's open-minded. Um, like, I feel like when I say I've met, I'm starting to meet my people. Like he's one of them for sure. You know? Um, but yeah, like, I reached out to, um, you know, Devante, who, who, um, from Xavier, who, um, yeah. And he had posted the other day, like something about like, you know, it's okay to not have a lot of friends or not be liked. I said, yeah, that's true, but I want to be your friend. (laughs) And so like, I, I look forward to like getting to know him, you know, um, now that I am again, like out of this cloud of narcissistic abuse, um, they say when you, you leave those situations, you make room for really beautiful people and beautiful things to come into your life. And so that's where I'm at. You know, like I, I love the fact that I am a man in touch with my feminine side. I love the fact that, um, I'm happy with like having daughters. Like I love all of this. And these are all things that, you know, just a couple of years ago, I still would have like, cringed over like i'm unapologetic about these things now i would have never cringed over my daughters let me be clear but i would have tried to like so like suppress these things right just to keep up that like that definition of like what it means to be a man that that we've all been taught but like oh like i i love these things i i I love like the fact that i have such unique and diverse friendships um my daughter saw two um Two of my friends, um, they're men. They, they, we were friends, but two of them like each other now. I said, "Oh, okay." You know, like when when were y'all gonna tell me? <laughs> they were like, "Oh, you know, we just wanted to like give some space to it, and so um, and let it breathe on its own." I said, I, "I respect that." And so they were kissing, and my daughter just she asked me a question, and she was like, "Um, she was like, Daddy, can boys get married?" I was like, "Yeah, sure, if they want to, absolutely." And she was like, can girls get married? I was like, sure, absolutely, they can. And she was like, 
okay. And she was like, can I have a sandwich? You know, like that <laughs> for her, it was just like, all right, now that I've made this connection, I can go about my day. Right. I love the, I love like the innocence and like, and children and, and how like, they really are like not corrupted. You know, this world will corrupt you, but children are not. And so um, I'm happy I'm able to say like, yeah. I have these friendships without having to worry about how I'm perceived or, you know what I mean? Or if I look weak or, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that I'm in this space and um, I can't wait to see what, you know, like what further growth um, I, I engage in and commit myself to. And um, yeah. You know, I, people tell me all the time I should write a book about my life. Um, I had never thought about that, but lately I have been. So I've been really being more detailed in my journaling to kind of track my, my feelings and emotions throughout the day. And um, who knows, maybe my grandfather's premonition that I would become a national leader in this country one day will come true. I don't know. Um but it feels good to think about that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. I think you might have froze up on my end. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I was just saying that um, I, I don't I don't know where the rest of my trajectory is going, but I do know it's going in a positive direction. And I also know that I, I do get this question a lot. Do, will I ever like turn back? The answer is no. Like the further away I am from my situation, the more I realize how like I will, I will never go back to those old ways. I will never return to those old people. I just won't. I won't. And I, like I said, I've already mourned like for me, I've already mourned the loss of my mother, but no, I, I will not have a relationship with her. Um, and because of how my family is, I don't see them ever being committed to change. And so I don't think I'll be going back to that relationship either. I'm at a good place where if something just doesn't feel right, I don't care what it is. Like, I just don't do it anymore. I don't do it anymore. I don't have those senses of obligation that I used to have because I'm no longer a codependent. And so there's this funny meme when it's like, I will unfriend, unfamily, uncousin, a draining soul. I'm with it. I'm with it. Your spirit has got to be in alignment to be around me. And it may not even be you. It might even be me. I might be the problem. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But selfishness is the name of the game these days. I'm so proud of my, my oldest daughter. She invited all her classmates to her birthday party except for one of them. And I said, why didn't you invite that one person? She said, because she's always mean to me, period. And so I'm happy that I'm passing on to her this idea that, like, you know, it's a privilege to be around you. If people can't celebrate you, then, then they have no space in your life. So to be continued, man, is, is what I would say. That's how I would end it. Um, to be continued. Yeah, man. Man, well, I appreciate I'm really you so glad much. This. this is very, very cathartic for me, you know. Uh, this is a part of the reason why I, 
was talk like I, I decided to talk about all of this with you is because the more I talk about it, like the more it is validated for me, you know? So I appreciate you for having me on here and for giving me the space and time. Of course, man. Of course. I'm definitely going to bring you back. Definitely going to bring you back. Oh, cool. I would love that. Um, can you let the people know where they can find you? So on Instagram, my name is brother underscore empath, E-M-P-A-T-H. On Twitter, my handle is Victor M. Is it Maurice, my middle name? Victor M. Jones. Those are my two, the areas I use the most. I, out of the two, the, the Instagram is definitely much more like, you know, reflective and introspective and um, and transparent, you know? Um, yeah. Man, Victor, thank you for coming on the show. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you again for having me, brother. This is Mike Brown, and this is The Art of Letting Go. Peace. Thank y'all for tuning in to this week's episode of The Art of Letting Go. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and rate it and review it and let other people know what you think. Let everybody know how good this podcast is. If you would like to further support the show, please share the podcast with people. Um, we do have merch on our website. Got some new merch coming soon. Also, we have a Patreon starting at $3. And it also goes up if you want to be more generous. But for $3 a month, you will get exclusive content, um, unreleased episodes, possibly music that i'm working on um some playlists that have been getting me through the weeks and through the months uh just all kind of exclusive stuff we check in and uh yeah i would just appreciate the support so much uh podcasting course is coming next month in october also you can find all of this at www.theartoflettinggopodcast.com um what else do I have for y'all? You know, I'm trying to get all my promotions off while I got y'all attention. <laughs> um, yeah, that feels good. That feels like all I really wanted to share. Thank y'all so much for listening again. Um, oh, if you want to be a guest on the show, hit the website, uh, request to be a guest. Also, if you have questions for us, you know, I love to ask, answer questions and also ask those questions to my guests. So hit us up. Art of Letting Go Podcast, the Art of Letting Go Podcast.com. Um, thank y'all so much. Peace.